Hey guys, and welcome back to the Female Fitness Formula Podcast. I am your host, Sheridan Sky, as always. And as always, I have a very special guest with me here today. I feel like I have really moved away from just doing solo episodes because I know that two brains is always better than one. And I am very excited for the guest that I have today because she is my colleague. Uh, she's a coach in team bioling. But what's really exciting about this guest is that she plays a very different role to the role that I play with clients. Uh, and she specializes mostly in eating disorders, which I'm really excited to get into with her because we obviously have very different ways of doing things and she's going to offer you a immense amount of value just through the experiences that she does have. So without further ado, hello Kendra, how are you? Good, how are you? Yes, I'm good. I know that we kind of went through that before we started this podcast, <laughs> but um, thank you for being here. I'm very excited for this chat. And you and I are actually two of the newest members of Team Violin. And I think that you started like a week before I did. So we're both kind of navigating the waters of, of Team Violin. And I, I'd love for you to just sort of explain to the listeners who you are, what you do, and how you sort of came to come to your specialty. Yeah. So my name is Kendra McKenzie. I am a registered dietitian based in New England, and so I have a bachelor's in nutrition and wellness, a master's in nutrition health promotion, and a certificate in sports nutrition. And I knew right out of high school that I wanted to get into nutrition and specifically eating disorders because I had several people who are very close to me struggle with either eating disorders that were diagnosed or pretty severe disordered eating that probably could have been diagnosed as an eating disorder, but went undiagnosed. And I also grew up running competitively. I did cross country and track, and I always had coaches telling me what to eat, but no one would tell me why. And that was really frustrating for me. So I knew I wanted to get into nutrition and knew I wanted to get into eating disorders. And here I am. Yeah, amazing. And what kind of conditions do you find that you mostly work with today in, in where you are in your career? So all different kinds of eating disorders. So the big ones that most people think of are anorexia nervosa, binge eating disorder, bulimia nervosa. But I would say the majority of the clients that I've worked with have been diagnosed with OSFED because they don't meet the criteria for other eating disorders. So that's other specified feeding or eating disorder. Mm, okay, can you dig dig, in, in, dig deeper into that for me? What is What does that sort of entail? So typically, so there's a very set criteria in like the diagnostic manual as far as what, each eating disorder entails. And unfortunately, BMI is still a part of it. Um, mm. So a lot of people, they don't necessarily meet the criteria for anorexia nervosa, even though they have the same characteristics. The only thing that is holding them back from getting that diagnosis is BMI. So that's when they'll typically diagnose OSFED because it has a more broad 
criteria. So most people mm -hmm. end up with that diagnosis um, just because it's so specific for anorexia. Mm. So when you say the criteria, you, are you referring to the DSM-5 criteria? Yes. Or, yeah, yep. okay, so cool. um, all of the eating disorders that are diagnosable have DSM-5 criteria. There are some eating disorders that I would say medical professionals see as eating disorders but aren't in the DSM-5, like orthorexia. You mm. can't technically be diagnosed with that because it doesn't have diagnosable criteria. And there are a few other ones that are kind of developing and being looked at that are different than what we currently have now. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what would you say are the maybe top three presentations that you mostly see or the, the highest prevalence in your experience and opinion? So I would say as far as like signs and symptoms wise, um, it's going to depend on the person, but I would say heavily restricting in some way um, so for some people that can look like heavily restricting food at all times. For some people that can look like restricting food and then having binges later on because you are restricting. I would say having certain fear foods or food rules. So you can't have a certain food um, because it's bad for you or you can't eat after 8 p.m. or things like that. And then... Mm -hmm definitely having that hyper focus on your physical appearance in a way that it is harmful to your everyday life like it's getting in the way of you functioning and living a normal life i guess mm -hmm. yeah okay i want to i want to dig deeper into that one because it's kind of when it when you just kind of say it out loud it kind of feels like there are massive parts of the fitness industry that kind of just fit into that, right? So it's like, well, does everybody show those presentations, right? So, you know, when we talk about aesthetic goals and that's specifically what I would usually help clients with, but what I think I hear you saying, Kendra, and please do correct me if I'm wrong, is that there is a difference between having or setting a, an aesthetic-based goal based off of, you know, just wanting to challenge yourself or whatever it is and setting it because there's sort of feelings of guilt, shame, and it affects the way you view yourself, your self-worth, the way that you engage socially and with self. Is is that right or would you kind yeah. of describe it differently? Yes, absolutely. I would definitely say 100%. I think that it's hard when you are in eating disorder recovery to kind of look at the fitness space because you do have so many people that are trying to change their physique. But the important thing to remember is that everyone has body autonomy and it's okay for other people to want to change their physique. Um, and hopefully they're doing it in a healthy way and they have a, a good mindset around it and they're working with a coach that can guide them. But I think it's important to remember that everyone has different goals and that's okay. We just need to worry about ourselves and our relationship with food and our relationship with our body. Mm, I love that. And I'd, I'd actually really love to hear a bit more about that because I think that there is this idea out there that 
anybody who wants to change their body composition has some kind of level of disordered eating right or it's it's not the right thing to do and it's refreshing to hear from someone such as yourself who has a vast experience with people who truly have disordered eating or eating disorders to say that you know you can have these goals and it may not necessarily mean that you fall within that kind of spectrum or diagnostic criteria but there are also a large amount of people who do so if if we were talking specifically to the people who maybe do or maybe they don't quite know if they're fitting within you know that that play i call it i have i have two different ways of explaining it and i i think i learned this from hattie boydall actually and she calls it uh compensatory goals and ascending goals and the way that she explains it uh and i might be butchering this so if hattie if you are listening to the, listening to this i am very sorry but i'm going to do my best to do you justice but a compensatory goal is a goal that you kind of set based off of an emotion or a feeling. So for example, one thing I see a lot with clients and when they do come to me, Kendra, I'm trying to ascertain their motivation for setting a particular goal. And for some people, it's like, you know, I've had a weekend of binging and overeating and I feel disgusting and I feel like a I just feel like so much shame and the band-aid fix is if I was to just restrict and I was to just have a, a coach that could keep me quote unquote accountable, maybe I would feel better about myself, right? And for me, that's a compensatory goal. You're trying to find a solution and find control in something that you may not necessarily have control over. But then an ascending goal is, you know what, the challenge of getting into the best shape of my life that, I, you know, I've never been in this sort of shape. I've never run a marathon. I've never done this. It's it's not a reflection of self-worth. It's that the journey kind of reflects the, the, the identity of the person that you want to become. And you can jump on the scale and that scale is literally just data and you're like, cool, I'm going about my life. It doesn't really matter. You do it because you enjoy the process, not necessarily the outcome, or it's not off the back end of a feeling of shame and guilt. Um, and I hope that I've explained that somewhat <laughs> reasonably. But if you kind of say, you know, for those people who may be setting those compensatory goals, what are the signs that they should look out for um, and decide whether or not they kind of fit into one camp or the other? Yeah, so I think that was a great way to describe it. Um, I think that it, it's hard because you need to take a step back and be really self-aware. And you need to recognize what your goals are and why those are your goals. If your goal is to lose 10 pounds just to look better, then maybe we need to take a step back because you want to be exercising because it makes you feel good because like you want to it's it shouldn't be a chore to i mean i know sometimes it's it's going to be hard to get up and go to the gym but i mean like if you really dread exercising you don't want to force yourself to go to the gym every day just to lose 10 pounds to look a certain way like that's mm. not worth it and that's when we typically see the yo-yo dieting because it's quick and then you fall back into those behaviors. So I would say you definitely have to take a step back, look at your goals and why 
you were trying to achieve those certain goals as far as like changing your aesthetic or physique. I think also you need to be very aware of your emotions and Mm -hmm. how you cope with certain things. Are you trying to do this, like you said, as a way to control something? Or are you doing it because you really have this like idea in mind of the person you want to be, you want to go about it in a healthy way, you're excited, and that's your end goal. So I think it takes being very self-aware, which is helpful sometimes to work with a therapist or a coach to get to that point to recognize what your goal is and why. Mm. That step alone is really hard because how many of us are self-aware? <laughs> yeah, it is really hard. Until yeah. and I think for a lot of people, until you are put in a position where you're forced to really sit down and think about all that, we don't even necessarily recognize it. Mm, yeah, definitely. And I don't know if you're a fan of Brene Brown's work. Have yes. You, yeah. yeah. So she, I'm also going to steal something from her here, but she kind of has this, she explains the notion of shame and guilt in a different way. Have you have you heard this from Renee's Brown? Oh, anyway, I'll go through it. So guilt, we kind of look at the word guilt and we kind of look at that as like, you know, you shouldn't have guilt around anything or guilt is a bad thing. Uh, and I really love how she explains it because she separates the difference between shame and guilt. And the way that she explains it is guilt focuses on behaviour and shame focuses on self. And why this is important in the way that she differentiates this is that we can learn from guilt. Like, you know, sometimes we do bad things to people. Sometimes we hurt people. Sometimes we make mistakes at work or we say things we don't mean. And we can take ownership of that and accountability of that by saying, my behaviour wasn't okay. I really don't want to be a person who acts that way. And I'm going to do my best to change that behaviour. And that's guilt. And we can kind of learn from that. But then when we think about shame, shame focuses on self. So it's, for example, you might be, you might have had, ate a whole block of chocolate. And everyone would kind of say, if you keep a block of chocolate in your house and you can't not eat it, then you are, you have disordered eating. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I don't particularly fully agree with that because I can fully autonomously choose to eat a block of chocolate because it's delicious. I'm having fun with my friends. It feels good. And I, but the difference is where you walk away from that. And there's two ways that people can walk away from that. I ate the block of chocolate. It was awesome. That was my full autonomous decision. I'm a grown ass adult and I can make my own decisions. Maybe I won't do that every day because it's probably not going to be completely healthy for me, but that's fine. But then shame, and if you think about it in the ways of the block of chocolate, it's I am a failure, I am shit, I always do these bad things, I am bad, 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 bad. So guilt focuses on behaviour, shame focuses on self. And the way that I see a lot of people who really struggle with disordered eating, um, because I never step into the realm of eating disorders, but there is that shame and I hear in their words, like, I always do this. I don't know why I can't stop doing it. And so I'd love to hear your kind of thoughts around that. Like, do you see the difference between kind of healthy striving to want to live a, a active lifestyle where you're eating well most of the time, whatever well means, and 
people who do have that disordered eating or eating disorders where it is a, a large focus on self and self-worth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think, I mean, that's a great example because I think like you can go about eating a block of chocolate and if that's your decision and you want to do that and that makes you feel good, that's fine by mm. all means. Um, but it becomes an issue when you are mindlessly just kind of eating and maybe you notice that like all of a sudden it's gone and most of the time when we reflect back on it it's because we're trying to deal with some kind of emotion um so but i mean there is a difference between maybe struggling with overeating and then actually having binge eating disorder yes yeah so i have seen a lot of people um struggle with having binges or overeating but mm -hmm. they don't have binge eating disorder so mm -hmm. i think the two sometimes kind of get mixed up mm -hmm. uh, and I think also it's important to know that a binge can be objective or subjective. So if you I are- ate a pack of That's not a binge. Yeah. <laughs> a pack of yeah. So if you're yeah. someone that's chronically under eating and then maybe you have like a, a quote unquote normal or average size meal, that might feel like a binge to you, but it's not. So- yes. um, I see a lot of people struggle with that too, as far as disordered eating, because the majority, I would, there are so many people that struggled with disordered eating, mm. but it's different than an eating disorder. Mm, I, yes, I love that. And I, I think that we need to get a lot better at the language that we use within the fitness industry, because I do see a lot of coaches talking about binges and it's like, that wasn't a binge. That was, you just, you mm -hmm. just, and it's like, whether or not you, that was an, an autonomous decision to overeat but or it was a physiological need to do it you know you've kind of been hungry for so long that you're just like give me food you know you, your body is designed and wired to stay alive and it will drive up your hunger and it'll make you more food focused and all of these things but then there's a really big difference between yeah binge eating disorder as you said so can we kind of just go into what are what are the main differences between you know, general overeating and, and actual uh, DSM-5 binge eating disorder diagnosis? Yeah, so overeating or like binging, I would say usually from what I've seen at least comes from a place where you are kind of restricting through the day. It might not even be on purpose. You might just be busy at work. You're not eating and then you get home and you overeat, you don't feel great. Um, or like going back to the block chocolate, maybe you are restricting chocolate because you think that that's a good idea. And then you have a stressful day at work, you go home, you eat the whole block of chocolate. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're trying to make up for something that you have restricted for however long. And then binge eating disorder, you are consuming what would 
be considered over the average amount of calories in a short period of time. So like it could be like two hours, less than two hours. And you have to have a certain amount of binges within a time frame. Mm-hmm. So when you go to your, cause your binge eating disorder, any eating disorder has to be diagnosed by a medical professional. So it could be a medical doctor, it could be a mental health professional, but it has to be diagnosed. So that what they're going to do is they're going to look at what you ate and what these binges consisted of and how mm-hmm. many you're having over the course of a certain time period. Um, typically with any eating disorder, there are also other diagnoses that go along with them. For example, a lot of times in eating disorders, we also see anxiety and depression. We see a lot of borderline personality disorder. Um, we'll see PTSD. There, there are typically things, other diagnoses that go along with the eating disorder as well. Mm, yeah, I'm actually gonna I'm gonna share something personal, and I hope that that is that's okay. Um, because I've experienced the difference between overeating and binge eating disorder. And when I had experienced binge eating disorder, so I actually was diagnosed with that many years ago. Um, and it was, it was, I say it's an ice, it was an isolated incident because there was a, a major event that sort of had triggered that, that binge eating disorder for me. So one of my best friends committed suicide at a time where my husband was in the Middle East. He was only just recently in the military and this person was very close to us. So we had just gone through this massive grief and I had a husband who was a mile away who I was like, I don't know if you're okay every day and I hope that you're okay every day. But for me, it was a, and you describe it really well. It's, you know, I can eat a block of chocolate now and be like, yeah, I chose to do that. And I know I am, and I think the big thing is I am aware that I am doing it even when I am doing it. But when I was going through that period of grief where I just, I didn't know how to hold that and I didn't know how to move through that. So it was like these feelings that needed to just eventuate. Mm -hmm. It was like, no, push those back down. And the way that I did that was, through food and it was so different to overeating you know it would like you said the amount of food in a short period of time was like I don't even remember doing that like you you I would do it and I'm like I don't know how that happened it was like an out-of-body experience so to speak and I don't know if other people have described it like that but you kind of look down and you're like where was I when that happened and how did that happen but there was never any compensatory sort of like purging or anything after that, but it was happening quite frequently. And then when I went and seen a therapist and I worked through that grief and I found a way to allow that grief to happen, I didn't I didn't um, struggle with that binge eating disorder anymore. It, yes, I have periods of overeating, but I'm never, it's never not in awareness, if that makes any sense. So a question that I have for you, Kendra, is, when we look at binge eating disorder, is it when we look at, you know, say anorexia or bulimia, is it one of the eating disorders that has probably the highest recovery rate compared to the others? I would say, well, first of all, thank you for sharing that. Um, 
And I would say, I mean, it really depends on the the person. I would say that as far as eating disorders go, um, usually anorexia is the one that you tend to relapse and kind yeah. of deal with um, for longer periods of time, but not always. Um, it definitely depends on the person. And everything that you said and described is like you were definitely not alone. There, mm-hmm. it, it is described by many people as an out-of-body experience. People will experience blackouts and then they'll mm-hmm. kind of come to and they will kind of recognize everything that they ate. Um, and binge eating disorder doesn't have any um, like binging or uh, purging behaviors mm-hmm. in any way, whether it's over-exercising or self-induced vomiting or anything like that. Um, so you won't experience that kind of behavior. But everything that you said, people describe um, when they're dealing with binge eating disorder. And a lot of times eating disorders in general are not necessarily caused by trauma, but trauma is a trigger. Mm. And so in the majority of the cases I've worked with, there is some kind of trauma and not always, but it is common that that we see some kind of trauma that triggered it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's really important because, like, there was, you know, in that time frame for me, I had two choices. And the one choice that I wanted to go to was, okay, well, like I kind of said at the start of this podcast, if I just go to a coach and I'm more accountable, if I have to be accountable to someone, this will fix what I'm experiencing, right? But my problem wasn't willpower. It wasn't um, lack of uh, motivation. What I was dealing with is was I needed to find a way to allow myself to grieve so for me Mm -hmm. one of the things that I wanted to do was control if I can have control over my weight and what I do then I have control over this thing that I I don't Mm -hmm. want to and I was kind of like I had the foresight and I don't know how but I'm like that's not the answer for me I need to go and see a therapist I need to go to someone because the problem isn't what I'm doing it's why I'm doing it and I don't know how I got there but I I what I want to hear from you kind of Kendra is if someone is experiencing those sort of things where it's like that outer body and it's you know they're fighting it from people and there's that immense amount of shame afterwards what would you say to them in terms of recognizing those signs and then what's their next steps would you say go and see a therapist? Would that be the the next thing that you would recommend? Yeah. So once you, so I think it's important to also note that you, until you recognize that you are struggling with these behaviors, you can't get help. You need to first recognize that there's something going on. Mm. Um, And I think that's a really hard first step and it takes a lot of courage to recognize that. And it takes a lot of courage to reach out for help. And I think a lot of times people think that they are alone in this 
and they're scared to reach out for help, but it is one of the most courageous things that you could do for yourself and it could potentially save your life. So it's extremely important. And I would say definitely talk to your primary care, start working with the therapist because it is, we're, we're trying to control something. And something that I really focus on with clients is different coping skills. Mm-hmm. So we can use coping skills in a healthy way that is outside of food. Um, so I work on, work on that a lot, but it, I would definitely say working with a therapist and it's hard to recognize these emotions and it's hard to process trauma. It's not easy at all. I remember the first time that I was working in a treatment center, I was working in, um, a partial, it was a partial hospitalization program and then an intensive outpatient program. So you're either going to treatment um, six to eight hours a day for five days a week or for three days a week, depending on your level of care. And I remember sitting in on some of the groups just to get a feel of how things ran throughout the day. And I remember sitting in, we had a music therapy group and we had someone come in and everyone had to pick a song that they felt described themselves at a low point. So for these people going through treatment, they're picking a song that represented them now and then picking a song that represented who you wanted to be or um, mm-hmm. like who you are, who you were at like your highest point. And I remember sitting there and I was, I was, picking my songs and I can't remember what I picked but I was getting emotional I was like it brings up things that you don't even recognize and then I'm sitting here in a group and I'm being forced to like process certain things and I'm like this is hard (laughs) and I think thinking about individuals going through treatment I mean depending on your level of care these are things you're working on every day and that's hard. That's that's emotionally exhausting. So, Yeah, absolutely. I remember after every single one of my therapy sessions, you kind of had this idea that you go in, you come out feeling lighter. I never came out feeling lighter. I felt like someone had like, beat me. Yeah. In the back. <laughs> I was like, why am I doing this? This is exhausting. But, you know, you, you mentioned some of, you know, the coping mechanisms that you could potentially use. And I'd love to hear some of those from you. Like for me, one of the things that worked really well for me, and I know that everybody else will have their own, their own sort of coping mechanisms was I, my therapist had me throw myself in a cold shower when I was like feeling those to, and I don't know what the, the kind of science behind that was, but it just, I think it brought me back to self, whereas when I was sort of going toward food, it was just a numbness, whereas the cold sort of water was like woke me up a little bit because I was, it, it made, it, it's kind of like a slap in the face. But that was for me mm-hmm. a way that I came back to self and then threw out, you know, those where I wasn't at that really dysregulated state journaling was really helpful for me and I don't know if you notice and I'd love to hear your your kind of experience with this is when I was like a kid it was never taught to me how to manage big difficult emotions so when this big difficult thing happened I was like what is this I've never I don't know how to deal with this so 
you know, do, do you notice that like people who kind of have had a rough time, you know, holding space for their feelings and our normal human emotions tend to kind of experience other disordered eating or eating disorders at all? Yeah, I would say that a lot of the individuals that I've worked with, their home environment growing up had some kind of disconnect between like dealing with your emotions and Mm -hmm. being able to like feel them, Um, whether it was a parent that was kind of disregarding the emotions or whatever it may be. And then if we're not learning those, those like coping skills, if we're not learning how to manage our emotions when we're young, we're not going to be able to when we're adults. So then we have to learn kind of what we should have been learning when we were a kid, how to deal with all these emotions. So there it's definitely connected. I would say the way you grew up, and the way your family looks at food, like everything that you absorb as a child carries with you a hundred percent. Yeah. As a mom of two, that lands with me so much because I do look at my two little girls and I'm like, my God, I can either have a beautiful impact on your relationship with food or I can totally just (laughs) screw it up. And it's hard. It's because Mm -hmm. you're conditioned to speak about things the way that you've been taught and you you it's so hard to unlearn that but it's I think we're at a place in you know whether it's our generation where we are a bit more aware of the mm-hmm. role that we play whereas our parents like they didn't know that they didn't have the tools necessary to help us as little people through that so it's both a incredible um burden to know that you hold this responsibility but also incredibly empower like you know it empowers me to be like I have the ability to pass a different journey on to my two girls and I think I don't know if it's because they're girls because that's a very big generalization because men also struggle a lot with disordered eating and eating disorders right um, but maybe I see somewhat of myself in my, in my two little girls but you know back to kind of what we were mentioning about some of the other coping mechanisms that someone might use as opposed to food what sort of recommendations do you have around that so it's definitely going to be individualized and it's going to take some trial and error but a lot of my clients love journaling like Mm. every day it's prompts or just free journaling i know for me i've tried to get into journaling and i can't do it but i will say it does help if i'm struggling with some kind of big emotions if I just kind of write down all my thoughts on paper, it does help. So I use that when I'm having like really intense emotions, but for me, it's not something that works every day. Um, mm. Other things, listening to music. Um, one thing I one thing I do is I have like all these little putties that I actually just learned. I learned about when I was working in the first treatment facility. I love them, so I will like play with putty, um, hanging out with pets, calling a friend. Sometimes Mm. if I'm trying to process something, I'll just FaceTime a friend and we'll talk through it. And then I feel a lot better. Um, Going to therapy. I recommend that everyone, everyone I meet, doesn't matter where you are in life. I'm like, go to therapy. Just talk Mm. to someone that has no like 
I mean, they're invested in your life. They want the best for you, but there's no, they don't know anyone in your life. You can just open talk about anything. Um, and I mean, for other people, sometimes coping mechanisms are just going for a walk. If you are physically and mentally in a space where going for a walk isn't going to be damaging, just go get some sunlight, walk outside. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it, it definitely depends on the person. It's so hard. I know for having like anxiety or anxiety attacks, one of the things that has helped a lot of my patients is getting something cold. So whether it's an ice pack, we used to freeze oranges at the treatment center. They would hold on to oranges because um, mm. it does that that change in temperature, like the cold shower, it brings you back to mm. yourself. Um, it's just like doing the like five senses. So like naming, yeah, naming like a certain number of things you can see, smell taste um touch yep yeah. yeah. um so a lot of people will also do like sour candy if they're feeling a lot of anxiety they'll pop in a sour candy and that brings them back um yeah. so different things different yeah things. Sure. i love that because i find you know i particularly work mostly with moms and what i find a lot is you know, I whenever I, I recognize that someone's stepping in the round, rounds of eating disorders or like disordered eating, I always refer. But one thing I find really commonly with my postnatal mums is that food becomes a really big regulator for them because you kind of mentioned, Kendra, you know, you go for a walk, you call a friend, you do all of these things. And then all of a sudden this baby comes into your life where you, you can't just go for a walk. You can't just call a friend. Most of the time you're feeling dysregulated and you've got this baby crying in the background because they have needs, but you kind of feel like you don't have the ability to step into another room and just come back to self. And as you're saying, a dysregulated adult cannot regulate a dysregulated child. And one of the things that I, I really learned and one thing that helped me a lot was the five senses. So when I felt that my nervous system was getting what I like to call high um, and, you know, when you become self-aware, you notice when you're elevating and you're like, oh, my God, this is feeling like too much. The five senses work so well for me because the goal is right. It's, it's come back to self, come back to that prefrontal cortex where you're thinking rationally, not from that emotional place. And, you know, just naming five things that I could see and touching things and just coming back to my senses, because that's ultimately the goal, isn't it? It's come back to self where you're in a place where you can regulate. And for my parents, I say, if you need to go into a room and you need to scream into a pillow for five minutes, your baby is going to be okay. Put them in a safe place, sort yourself back out, come back and you'll be able to regulate yourself so much more. So, you know, I, while it's not a, a disordered eating or a binge eating disorder, it's still, you know, people still need tools to help regulate themselves, don't they? And I think that we could all do a little bit better at it. And I, I remember my live with... Lane that I did, um, I think last week, he kind of shared that he never struggled with um, emotional eating, but he does mm -hmm. find periods where he finds his nervous system quite uh, elevated. And he says he, I think he said he clicks. And it's like, you know, all these little things that we're doing. And like you said, it, it is very individualized, but 
play around with these things and, and know that, you know, it's okay to feel dysregulated and it's okay to give yourself space to come back to self. Um, but yeah, and I guess, you know, Kendra, with what you do with Team Biolane, uh, we kind of mentioned at the start of this call that it is very different to what all the other coaches do where we have those aesthetic-based goals. And I imagine that's really challenging for you in some aspects because it's like your your messaging is so different to what ours is. So I'd love for you to kind of just finish this podcast on, you know, who you can help, who your, let's not call it an ideal client is because you obviously do this from a place of extreme passion um, and and passion as well but let us know who exactly you work with how they can find you and anything else you want to add yeah so um i work with anyone struggling from an eating disorder so it could be something that was newly diagnosed it could be something that was diagnosed years ago and it's still like really impacting your life or just anyone struggling with disordered eating to the point where they kind of need to work through that before they can maybe set a different goal and work with one of the other coaches. Um, mm -hmm. Because I think it's really important before just kind of jumping into coaching to maybe change your physique, recognizing if that's a good idea for you. Is that going to be more damaging mm -hmm. than helpful? If so, maybe we need to work through some other stuff and kind of develop a better relationship where with food and where your body's at right now. And then later on, you can take that next step and work with one of the other coaches. Um, because what I'm doing is very kind of working with intuitive eating, building balanced plates, incorporating all foods. Like we're not focused on changing our body composition at all. If it does change, it changes. We're just going to yeah. accept where we're at right now and make peace with that. So anyone looking to better their relationship with food or their body in this present moment um, is who I would work with. Um, yeah, as, far as, as far as finding me, my Instagram is at dietitian Kendra, dietitian with a T because I know in some places they spell it with a C, <laughs> um, but here in the US we spell it with a T. And my email is Kendra at biolane.com. Kendra being K-Y-N-D-R-A. Yeah. 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 And I, I just want to add to that. I love what you mentioned there about improving relationship with food. Because in, in my consultation form, there's like a, there's a, a list of priorities. And it's building muscle, fat loss, improve relationship with food. And I mm -hmm. ask them to their the priorities and often what I see Kendra is people are like I want to lose weight and improve my relationship with food and I am very much of the opinion that they are two counterproductive goals because yes. I am going to asking you to restrict and you you don't live your life in a fat loss phase this is not forever this is for a period of time and I truly in my heart of hearts and I'd love to hear your your thoughts I don't believe that you can be in a fat loss phase and improve your relationship with food simultaneously. What are your thoughts? I absolutely agree. In order to improve your relationship with food, you can't be in a place where you are intentionally restricting. So mm. I absolutely agree. And I think for some people, it's if you recognize that 
you need to develop a better relationship with food in your body, that's okay to work on. And you can still maybe have this goal of changing your physique in the future. But if mm. you go into it hating your body, does not matter how much you change your body composition, that's not mm. going to fix it. Mm. It's a mindset thing. It's all mm -hmm. mindset. Yes. It's like, have you ever, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but listeners, I know that many of you have. You know when you look back on an old photo of yourself from mm -hmm. years ago and you look back and you're like, I looked so good there. Like I would kill to look like I did then. Like why was I unhappy with my body then? And mm -hmm. that's proof it's never been about how you look. It's been about the lens in which you view yourself and we don't see what we see. We see what we feel and that's never going to change just because you're a leaner version of yourself. Am I right? I love that. That is the perfect explanation. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I am going to leave all of your information down in the show notes, Kendra. I so appreciate your time and I'm sure I'll see you in one of our team meetings soon. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun.